Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every single week to break down all the action in the wild, weird and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben Folks, it is UFC 279 fight week. So obviously we will be spending a big chunk of time this week looking ahead to that we're also going to recap some of the action at ufc paris it is a typically busy week in the world of combat sports jake paul versus anderson silva was officially announced for october 29th down there in phoenix we kind of knew that was coming uh i think we'll be setting up a cme watch party for that event perhaps the biggest news of all though CME road trip. We're headed up there to Great Falls, Montana to watch the BKFC event this Saturday night. Not just as a couple of uh, marks, a couple of guys sitting in the stands uh, chewing a piece of hay and eating popcorn. No, we will be there in an official capacity, my guy. That's right. We may even be reporting live from the scene, offering dispatches to our loyal CME patrons over there on patreon.com slash co-main event. Just one more reason why you should join that party. Because uh, you can hear from us about how it's going, whether or not we have lost Sir Nigel yet, uh, and uh, what abandoned boxcar we plan to stay the night in. That's correct. Elusive creature, Sir Nigel Longstock, the world's leading theatricalist, will be in the house as well. We think we have... Uh, assurances that he will be making this trip with us we're just gonna have to see if he is good to his word and if we manage to keep him around long enough to appear on whatever uh whatever product we present what in the if wake of this at some point in the evening we're sitting there we're watching some preliminary bare knuckle boxing bouts we lose track of sir nigel we look around we can't find him we look up somehow he's in the ring with his his bare fists only with those colored wraps that they use and he's just standing there across from Joe Riggs or somebody just looking fucking terrified what yeah. then do we i mean I, do we jump in there and save him or do we go you know what like the national geographic cameraman watching the lion about to sneak up on a gazelle we just report what happens i wouldn't want to fight sir nigel longstock in a bare knuckle boxing match that's a guy who has nothing to lose right there well I mentioned Joe Riggs, right? Was the guy opposite him in this scenario? Yeah. Do we do we know anything about the card? Do we know anything about Joe where Riggs this is event is taking place? I'm I'm a babe in the woods. I'm this is like a blind date for me. 
going to BKFC. I have no idea what's going to happen there. I'm just along for the ride. Oh, well, I mean, you know it's going down at the uh, the Expo Park, right? I mean, that's I, I'm an old hand at this, chat. I have been to uh, Great Falls to witness MMA events before. So uh, this one is listed as BKFC 29 Montana 2. Okay. <laughs> I believe. It's a bit of that uh, one championship on Amazon Prime 1 phraseology that we were talking about last week. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, try to th- I know Joe Riggs is on the card. I know we got uh, uh, Britton Hart. She's the one who, Chad, you'll recall, is not a human being so much as a feeling. Yes. Who could forget that one? Um, yeah, I, I don't know, uh, a whole lot about everybody else that we have here, but, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the road trip as much as for anything else. Uh, Joe Riggs going to fight a fellow by the name of Dyer. You know, he looks intense. I, I don't, I, this, this looks like it's going to be a hell of a time. I'm just telling you that right now. I can't wait. I'm excited. I've never been to a bare knuckle boxing event. I, I just hope we get some blood on us. It depends how close you're sitting, man, because I, I covered the very first one when they were down there in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and there was some blood on the floor. I'll tell you that much. People were, were getting after it. A lot of facial lacerations. Expect a lot of that. Uh, expect a, a different sort of feeling, too, when you realize we are hearing the intimate bone and flesh on bone on flesh smacking sound of just bare fist on bare face. It's, it's, a, diff- it's, it's a different sort of vibe. I'll say that. I hope you're ready for it. We're going to watch some fights, and then we're going to throw back a couple of cocktails over there at the O'Hare Motor Inn. The Sip and Dip, maybe the mermaids will be in the pool for that. That'll be, it's going to be a wild time. Co-main event podcast out on the scene there in Great Falls. You're listening to the Co-main event podcast proper, where this week we're kicking off Pledge Week over on the CME Patreon page. You already know Ben and I have been doing the CME podcast for over a decade now, but did you know that the life's blood of this show is the CME Patreon? The reason that we are still able to sit here right now saying what we want, whenever we want, keeping the discourse unfettered is because of the support of all of the beloved patrons of the CME signing up for our Patreon page. It's, uh, It's frankly an unbelievable value. You get access to three additional podcasts each week. You can cut the line to the front row. Have your listener mail submission considered first for the show. Join the CME's official Discord message board where people are constantly talking about fighting. They're organizing book clubs and movie clubs. Fantasy football. Fantasy hockey. That's, That's true. We are. We, you and I are currently involved in a CME Discord fantasy football and fantasy hockey league. So if you jump on board, you can play those fantasy sports with us. We're celebrating each other's successes. We're helping each other out over there with life's little obstacles. Many of our members uh, say that it's the best online community in MMA, and you can be part of it, but you don't have to take our word for it. Here is longtime listener and longtime patron, as well as 10-year anniversary meetup attendee, our guy John Lee, to tell you why he enjoys the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon. (laughs) 
Hey, what's up, guys and girls? It's John Lee from Phoenix telling you to run to join the co-main event podcast Patreon. I've been listening to the co-main event for over a decade. I think I joined the Patreon the first or second day that it opened up. You already know by now that the co-main event is the best MMA podcast. You already know if you're listening to this, the Chad and Ben are awesome. But there's a whole community behind the podcast that you can join when you join the Patreon. I personally met all these people in Vegas a few months ago, and I can tell you that this is hands down the best community in all of MMA, which is saying something because if you've been around the MMA world for a while, you know that it can be kind of rough and full of terrible human beings. But if you join the Patreon, you can hang out with us in the Discord, chat and even argue about MMA without getting called a slur. Plus, you'll get access to three more shows with Chad and Ben, including the most powerful happenings in all of sports, the Patreon Power Hour. So go ahead and join. It's as little as a dollar a month for the lowest level, up to $10 a month. Highly worth it. I've been on the $10 tier for a couple of years, and the four shows really make it easier to get through the week, whether you're working out or commuting. It's really awesome. And having met Ben and Chad, I can vouch for both of them. So definitely join. You won't regret it. And you can hang out with all of us co-maniacs on the Discord. Hopefully, I'll see you soon. Going to be honest, people. The Patreon numbers are down a little bit right now. We need your help. If you listen to the CME, if you like the CME, please support the show. Right now, go to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up with any one of our three handy tiers of patronage to get access to all the cool shit happening over there. We need your support. We want your support. We will be announcing some exciting additions to the Patreon this month. So please go over during pledge week, sign up at patreon.com slash co-main event and be part of the team. Yeah. This is, new, this is new, how, how we, how we manage to do this. This is how we keep our house hot. Chad is the CMA right. Patreon food on the table. New music alert this week from our guy, James, AKA the funk soul brother. He's a retired amateur MMA fighter and hip hop producer living in Seoul. He sent us some new tracks So we're excited to bust them out. If you like what you hear from him this week, you can check out more over at Instagram.com slash FSB Beats or YouTube.com slash C slash Funk Soul Brother. And as all you guys know by now, the word soul in Funk Soul Brother is spelled S-E-O-U-L because that's where he lives. Yeah. Soul. That's makes it clever. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, well, you guys finally did it. You ruined all of our fun with Tai Tuivasa. Put him out there with a guy who was just going to keep jabbing him, make him bleed out of his beautiful face, keep kicking him in the gut over and over and over again. Congratulations, I guess. Even though begrudgingly i admit cyril gone seems pretty cool too yeah and in round number two it's ufc 279 fight week where the main event between nate diaz and kamzat chamaev will either be fun or depressing or just plain weird or maybe all three at the same time and in round number three speaking of depressing in the fight before nate diaz versus kamzat chamaev we also get to watch lee jingliang versus tony ferguson jesus This pay-per-view could set a new record for sadness. All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. 
This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by Fulton and Rourke. There's nothing not to love about Fulton and Rourke, the CME's most consistent, longest standing sponsor. We can endorse Fulton and Rourke's award winning grooming products without reservation. Ben uses them, I use them, whether it's the solid colognes, the shampoo, the body wash, the shave cream, the deodorant. It's all top quality stuff. We've personally met the people in charge, they're good people, the customer service is impeccable. The packaging is clever and environmentally conscious. Run out right now and get some Fulton and Rourke today. CME listeners can save 15% on their first purchase with the coupon code if you nasty. Of course, that's all one word if you nasty over there at FultonandRourke.com. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Sam Holzimmer. He writes, is anyone else becoming sick of the term, quote, point fighting? It gets thrown pejoratively at any fighter with decent footwork and a jab. Volkanovsky, Adesanya, and most recently, Cyril Gaon. You could call it a valid criticism of Izzy's recent performances, but seeing this used to describe Cyril Gaon makes me laugh. To put it bluntly, he beat the fuck out of Derek Lewis, and he beat the fuck out of Tai Tuivasa, KOing someone with a granite chin. Would you want to feel any of those quote-unquote points? I know I wouldn't. Discourse. So this is probably a valid point, right? That, that like one of the many ways that the MMA subculture has come up with to devalue or undermine any person with any fighting style that they don't like is to call them a quote unquote point fighter when you are essentially a skilled stand-up fighter, correct? Yeah. It's true that that exact description doesn't get applied to anyone, but it seems like skilled stand-up fighters who can touch you without letting you touch them back. If you're the kind of person who does the ground equivalent of that, taking people down, I think we probably still just call you a lay-and-pray fighter. But we're basically doing the same kind of thing there. You have a thing you can do that other people can't do shit about, and we're mad at you for it. You know, Or we're mad at you for not taking it a step further and introducing a level of risk that you don't need to introduce just to make it more interesting for us. And especially the point fighter kind of criticism... It's weird because a lot of times, I don't know if you do this, Chad, this shit is decided by points. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. If we, if we go the distance, neither fighter is finished inside the distance, we tally up the scores from the judges, which we might also call points. If you have more of them, you win, and you get twice the money. You also yeah. sometimes get to move up ahead in your career, either to fight for or gain or keep a world title, which in turn brings even more money. So it's also just kind of a smart thing to do if you can do it. Now, I think that something like what we saw out of Cyril Gunn this weekend, though, that's the kind of performance that it makes it so that you can't call the guy a point fighter anymore. Yeah. Like, I get it a little bit when it was something like, you know, if you're fighting somebody like Jarzino Rosenstrike, where you can clearly just move around, touch him up, and stay away from the trouble, and so you're going to do that. And then even Data White was criticizing him after that one. But this one, beating the shit out of Tai Tuivasa, who it's kind of a credit to his toughness that he was still there to be put away in the third round. It seemed like it was going to be over even sooner than that. 
Yeah, it seems to me like what Cyril Gaon is doing, and I know we'll talk about this more coming up in round number one, but more than just being like either a point fighter or like a blood and guts brawler, a fan favorite, it seems like what Cyril Gaon is doing to me is picking the best strategy to win each fight with the skills that he has. Like you could argue he kind of fought tied to Ivasa differently than he fought Francis Ngannou. And that just seems like good mixed martial arts strategy to me on the part of, of Cyril Gunn. And it annoys me, longtime listeners will know this, it annoys me that, that we have a subculture, as a subculture, seem to have, have, at least some people in it, have developed this notion that like there's only one way to do this shit. And yeah. the, what we like are guys who go out there and quote-unquote leave it all in the octagon, go out on their shield, have a big, messy, sloppy, bloody brawl that is fun for us to watch, uh, and then we, like, monetarily make it worth their while, right? In fact, the architects of this subculture, who are largely the people who owned the UFC for years, uh, financially incentivized that kind of fighting. And I don't necessarily know if they're the first people to apply the term point fighting to... Uh, fighters that they don't like but i think that like the architects of the modern ufc are certainly responsible for creating this expectation that like hey this is how you should do it if you are a mixed martial arts fighter and that's annoying to me because one of the things i like about this sport is a bunch of people doing it in different ways that's what's cool about mixed martial arts is that it provides this very disparate and diverse uh, possibilities for the, for the, what kind of action you're going to see. You got to, I mean, a guy like Ben Askren and a guy like Tai Tuivasa and a guy like uh, Cyril Gaon, for example, are all going to go about it slightly differently in different weight classes. And they're going to use the skills that they bring to the table and apply them as effectively as they can to winning fights. And that's, what's cool, man. And so uh, I'm a proponent of going out there and, and doing the thing that gives you the best opportunity to win the fights and letting we, the fans kind of sort out the rest of it because, you know, while it's well within your rights to fight that way, I think that we are within our rights to, to describe it how we want to, or have our own feelings about it. Uh, and that's just, that's, that's the nature of the beast, man. That's how it's supposed to work. In fact, well, it's especially though telling when we see it applied to people like the, the examples here, Volkanovsky and Israel Adesanya, Two guys who are champions at the very top of their division. And so the thing that might be described as point fighting when a champion is doing it and holding it down and and maintaining his status at the top of the division, he's only fighting the very best. That's all the champion does is fight whoever is considered the best possible threat to the champion at that time. And if he would get to fight like a number seven guy every once in a while, number 12 guy in the division... That same point fighting would probably put that dude away because he's not as good. But when the champion does it, he's doing it against the very best competition they have for him at that moment. And so it's a little bit more bullshit, I think, to sit around and be like, how come you're not finishing these guys? When you're the champion, you got the most to lose in every fight and you're always fighting the best competition. Uh, You got to do the, the smartest thing you can possibly do there. And a lot of these fights probably would be over if you got to fight an occasionally shitty dude, which you never do as the champ. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next question this week comes to us from our guy, Matthew Cole Webb, who writes short and simple guys, Robert Whitaker is fucking awesome. Discourse. Yep. Robert Whitaker goes out there, gets the unanimous decision against Marvin Vittori in the co-main event of this UFC Paris event couple times 30 27 129 28 
Bobby Knuckles, now 31 years old, uh, gets the most recent loss to Israel Adesanya at UFC 271 off the top of his record. He is now three and one, four and one, I'm sorry, in his last five fights. And you're right, Robert Whitaker is really damn good. And in fact, we thought for a long time he would be the standard bearer at 185 pounds uh, until he was summarily replaced by Israel Adesanya. And now I guess the question that we must answer about Robert Whitaker is whether or not he will be one of these, I don't want to say tragic, because there's kind of seems like there's nothing tragic about Robert Whitaker's uh, time in this sport so far, but like, will he be one of these like somewhat disquieting or cautionary tales where like, man, without Israel Adesanya, you probably would have been the champ for years. Yeah. I mean, at least he's the better version of that. Cause sometimes we have those guys where they never get their hands on a championship belt because they're second to somebody else who was first. He at least had some time with the middleweight titles, but it's true that now you look at it, especially how good he looked in this fight against Marvin Vittori, who is himself very good. And who was yeah. right up there in the conversation at middleweight, who was talking about, hey, I'm going to win this one. And then there's going to be nothing left, but to give me uh, another shot at Israel Adesanya. And, Robert Whitaker went out there, first round, a little bit close, and by the second round, you could see, it was like, he's figured this guy out. That's all he needed, was that first five minutes. And now, he's got Marvin Vittori, doesn't know if he's coming or going. He He's he's hitting him at will, he's got the faster hands, he's just better all around, he's got everything that, he, he's got so many different things that he can threaten Vittori with, and Vittori feels like he just can't catch up, and can't get back. And you could see him, at the end of the second round, you could see Marvin Vittori looking frustrated, like, what the hell am I even supposed to do with this guy? And he's just so good all around and so smart. And honestly, that second fight that he had with Israel Adesanya, that was damn close. You put him in there for a third one, it's a different situation than it is with guys like Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway, where it seems like the more they fight, the more Volkanovsky is going to pull away from Holloway. And so far, the evidence seems to suggest that the more Whitaker and Adesanya fight, the closer Robert Whitaker is going to make it. It would not have been at all ridiculous for somebody to score that fight in his favor last time. So uh, you could, that's one where I could see you could justify doing it again. And maybe if you do do it again, uh, maybe Robert Whitaker figures it out and finds a way to get it done. Cause it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot separating them right now. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a tough sell though. Right. Isn't it? Isn't it's it always a tough, a tough sell, sell but like, we did it for oh, Max Holloway, a, right? We're going to do a third fight. Yeah, we did do it for Max Holloway. You're right about that. And p- potentially under a circumstance where the, you know, the other fights weren't as competitive or where we didn't need to do a third one is the, is the best thing that can happen to Robert Whitaker at this point for Alex Pierre to become the champion. Yes. Or is that even worse? For him <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a good news, bad news type situation for sure. Because if, especially I mentioned this before, I don't know if people noticed this. There was a photograph, Chad. There was a still photograph. Yeah, this still photograph is getting a lot of attention online. Alex Pierre is a big boy. Yes, he is. He's a big boy. Robert Whitaker struggled with that aspect of Israel Adesanya in their first fight. It seemed like he had figured it out a little bit more. But a big boy who also is a powerful kickboxer. It could be a tough guy to deal with. But Robert Whitaker is a very well-rounded fighter. I mean, I could definitely see why if he's sitting around watching that fight, he is rooting for Alex Pierre just because that cleans the slate off at middleweight, at least for a little while. And 
you could be the guy to be like, hey, look, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but I have dispatched all the other would-be contenders in this division right now, and here I am. And, uh, you know, then you have to set yourself to the problem of how do you figure out a way to actually go out there and beat that guy. I don't know. Uh, but I, I do think, uh, the thing I would hate to see, Robert Whitaker, we heard him last week and uh, before this fight a little bit, talking about the possibility of moving up to light heavyweight. And it seems like the only reason he'd even talk about it is because he's doing the same math we are and realizing if I stay at middleweight, if the champion stays the guy who already has two wins over me, my road to the title has a big roadblock in front of it and uh, maybe I have to do something else. But it doesn't seem like he really wants to and it seems like it'd kind of be a bummer, wouldn't it, to see him be like, all right, I guess I'll go up and I'll give up this size advantage against a lot of these dudes just because my career seems stalled even though I keep winning fucking fights against really good dudes at middleweight yeah my official position is don't move up to 205 pounds robert whitaker that's at all or just we're gonna wait and see how this this next title fight plays out i think at all man like I, i have a hard time believing that it would be any better for him up at light heavyweight in fact it might be worse i would say let's bide our time let's see what's up Let's keep beating up the Marvin Vittori's of the world and just see where that takes us. Yeah, I mean, the, the flip side of that coin is to look at it and go, look, if Israel Adesanya does beat Alex Pierre, then then what do they do for the next title challenge to Israel Adesanya? Like, you, you, yeah. you pulled this one out basically on their history together, even though the other guy didn't take the traditional path to working his way up the division. Uh, but if that doesn't work out, if he's still the champ afterwards, then Robert Whitaker might well reason like, hey, you look around, there's not a whole lot of fresh faces left. True. Next question this week comes to us uh, from Jay Jarjulo over on Patreon. He writes, should strikes to the back of the head be legal on the feet? Are they kind of already? Cyril gone <laughs> pretty clearly clubbed Tai Tuivasi in the rear of his extremely hard skull in the fight ending sequence, but neither Mark Goddard nor Bam Bam seem to care. It's one thing to wail on the back of your opponent's head while holding them in a vulnerable position on the ground, but feels different to land a strike while they are ducking or turning on their feet. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, my, my position on this has long been, and I cited the John Jones versus Stefan Bonner spinning elbow example, that if you can find a way to hit somebody in the back of the head while they are standing in front of you and looking at you, then it ought to be legal because mm-hmm. that's just kind of you being dope. And this yeah. is a little bit different than that because it's tied to Ivasa wounded, kind of covering up, kind of in a stationary position. And Shogun just happens to be in a position where he can club up on the back of the head. But I do appreciate the distinction that Jay is drawing here between holding someone down in a spot where they can't move and wailing away on the back of their skull where, you know, there's nowhere worthy for them to go. And we're all moving. There's a, it's a dynamic shifting situation to begin with. And maybe I clip you in the back of the head and that's just the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, isn't the dirty secret aren't most strikes to the back of the head in MMA tacitly legal of all of the already fungible rules of mixed martial arts, the strikes to the back of the head rule is perhaps the most ignored, the perhaps most fungible in in almost all situations until it's not. Yeah. Then all of a sudden it becomes a big deal. But I would say if you were going to go out there 
and just make it your thing to strike a guy in the back of the head, you could probably get away with it nine times out of ten, and especially if you very quickly finish the fight after you do it. If As long as that strike to the back of the head occurs during a berserker blitz that yeah. ends in a TKO victory, you're gold, man. Nobody ever does anything about those. Nobody's ever going to go back after the fact and be like, well, but he did hit the guy in the back of the head right before he finished him. So we're going to make this a no contest. I don't know. I don't think that's ever happened. Yeah. And so like I say, just go out there and hit a, hit the guy in the back of the head all the time. Roll the dice. Let, let the fucking MMA God sort it out. Especially when it comes where it's like you land two good strikes to put the guy in trouble, one on the back of the head, and then two more after that. It is really putting the pressure on the referee to expect him to be like, wait a minute, because the guy's clearly already hurt at that point, yeah. and it's we're on yeah. our way there. I can think of that one time, I think it was Eric Silva, uh, who, who got in trouble for it in one of those fights, one of the early fights down there in Brazil. Uh, when the UFC had just sort of reopened that market and was going down there. Remember when Brazil was the new Canada before then Ireland became the new Canada and we we're going down there a whole bunch. It was one of those fights and it was not a popular decision for the referee to be like, no, there was as in part of that fight ending barrage of strikes. You hit him in the back of the head like once and people did not like it when they actually saw that rule applied that way. Yeah. Strikes to the back of the head is a little bit like holding in football. It seems like you could throw the flag on every play if you wanted to, and we've all sort of, re you know, reached an unspoken gentleman's agreement to not do it. So that's what I think. Next question this week comes to us from Gringo Poppy, who writes, I'm no USADA stan, but I guess I gave them too much credit. Dicey, dicey. And then he includes this link to the Twitter account of Andy Hickey, MMA, who, uh, writes with the latest update from USADA, it can now be confirmed that Conor McGregor has not had to provide a test in the previous 12 months. I cannot understand why this story is not being covered or answered. Now I have not independently verified this fact from USADA, but if we can take uh perhaps random guy, Andy Hickey's uh, word for it, does this seem like a scandal to you? It seems like a, uh, like maybe they should have tested him to me. But also, what are you going to do? You're going to uh, you going to scuba out to his yacht if you're a USADA and like use some suction cups to pull yourself onto the deck, interrupt his uh, his topside sex act, and ask him to provide <laughs> a uh, a sample for you. Sex I act off the starboard bow. Um, Okay, I I'd seen a couple of... There were some people saying that there might have been a mix-up in how they were loading the results onto the USADA database. Um, I don't... It, it did seem like... Uh, the, I saw that there was... A, the newest update was just last week, like September 2nd, I believe. Um, are you suggesting that maybe the thing... The way to get around USADA is to be at sea? Like, because like, you know they got to report like where your whereabouts are going to be if you're going to be like somewhere in the North Atlantic. Do you feel like that is the uh, that's that's the ticket? That's how you get out of there. Like they're just yeah. like, well, okay, well, technically he told us told us where he was going to be, but uh, damn, you know what we're going to do. I guess we'll get the USADA branded hovercraft out and chase after him. Uh, I guess what I'm suggesting is the best way to get around almost every rule in life is to be extremely wealthy. Okay. Interesting. That seems to work for a lot of people. But I do like the idea 
that you're going to be like, hey, USADA, I'm going to be in international waters doing all the drugs of abuse and all the drugs of uh, of enhancement. Come, come can't get me if you can. Catch me if you can. But uh, I don't know. It seems like uh, maybe we should have tested Conor McGregor, but also I could kind of understand if we didn't. Well, I mean, coming back from a, a really bad leg break, yeah, uh, I seem to recall that's how the big homie Anderson Silva got popped. Yep, that's true. Those were the that's circumstances. True. Have you seen that video where they're like, oh, these military tested this jetpack technology? Oh, yeah, that's a cool video. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll you'll note that in those videos, they're using the jetpacks to fly from like the deck of one ship to another. You see where I'm going with this. Yeah. yeah. Yes. The uh, the unlimited resources of USADA will just buy some USADA branded jetpacks to go along with the USADA branded hovercraft and uh, just start boarding people's ships. <laughs> What's forcibly bordering people's. Hey, man, if you're going to hide from USADA by being in international waters, they are well within their rights to board your ship. Uh, well, watch USADA jetpack on over to Conor McGregor's ship and it's just to award him one of those Letterman jackets for 50 clean tests. <laughs> yeah, here comes Jeff Nowitzki <laughs> uh, with the big and tall size jetpack uh, buzzing over there to give Conor, Mc- Conor McGregor's Letterman's jacket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see it. It seems like it's been a long damn time since you you saw to caught anyone of note, doesn't it? Oh, here we go. Here I mean, we I'm go. not trying to I'm not trying to allege a conspiracy or anything. I was just <laughs> trying to figure out like when was the last time that a like a, a legit name in the UFC turned up positive for anything? It's been a long time. It has been a long time. Um and I mean, not all of them can be blamed on yachts. That just this is That's this true. is not an entirely maritime related issue. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to squeeze this last one in here from Burt Russell because uh, this gets to what you were or uh, another opportunity may perhaps for Bobby Knuckles here, where he says, "I just wanted to ask you guys what you think of a dream matchup I've been obsessed about. It holds no value to anyone. It doesn't solve <laughs> anything championship wise. The UFC will never book it, but boy, would I love to see it. The more I think about it, the more I want." It to come to reality, may I present to you Kamaru Usman versus Robert Whitaker. I've been turning the possible outcomes in my head, and all I can say for sure is that it would be one hell of a fight. They match up against each other so well. Size-wise, skill-wise, I'm rarely correct when picking winners, but annoyingly loud when correct. And I may tell you, I picked Leon Edwards to win against Kamaru. I also predict that the rematch will be a blowout, but for Leon. Thus, we have two... We have the clear number two guys in each weight class with aspirations to go up in weight, and both guys have been vocal about trying the 205-pound class. So, a five-rounder at 205, Kamaro Usman versus Bobby Knuckles. What say you? I'd say that that's a fight that Kamaro Usman would never in his right mind accept. Ali Abdelaziz is not going to let him accept that fight. It's a bad (laughs) fight for him. And... Even if you win, you beat a guy who used to be middleweight champ, a beloved guy, uh, and it doesn't. You you go up a division, but without getting the the real do daps of when you are a champ going up to face another champ. So, not not great. There's no way he'd do it. I mean, just in terms of it happening in a vacuum, though, it does seem like a fun matchup. Oh yeah, fun matchup for sure. And your best chance to do it is on one of the UFC video games. 
that's where you can make a fight like that. Everywhere else in any form of reality, no. No, sir. Wow. Ben Folk's out here just stomping on Burt Russell's dreams. No, I mean, it's a good idea, but I, I agree with the part at the very beginning about how it holds no value for anybody. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, you finally hit one of your long shot prop bets over at the DraftKings Sportsbook this weekend when Cyril Gaon did in fact stop Tai Tuivasa in the third round. Go ahead. Gloat about it. Go on. Chad, let me just take this solemn opportunity to say, <laughs> I am a golden god. I am become immortal. Cyril gone via third round TKO stoppage at plus 1,000 odds. Your boy Ben Folks had a saw buck down on it. $5 made me 55. I would like to invite everyone to talk that mess now. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, are you guys feeling as lucky as Ben Folks on a Saturday afternoon watching fights from France <laughs> this weekend? The DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. Whether you want to bet UFC 279 or the NFL, football fans, the first Sunday of the professional season is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. And as an added bonus for week one, everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on an NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team ends up losing. Ben, tell them how it works. You download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code COMAINEVENT, that's all one word, to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet this Sunday. That's code COMAINEVENT. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See our show notes for details how you too can become a golden god. By the way, if you think I'm done gloating about this just with this this one moment, forget it, man. The 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 live chat tomorrow, uh, the, the power hour on Friday, the gloating has only just begun. Yeah, no, I know. I, I'm I, on I, a I rocket didn't. ship to the top, my man. Nothing can stop me now. Never did I once think that this would be the only gloat. I know that there will be multiple gloats gloating all week, perhaps into next week. Perhaps the gloating trickles into next month, for all I know. I'm just riding so high, it's impossible to imagine that I could ever be low again. Did you guys hear that Cyril Gaon stopped tied to Ifasa in the third <laughs> round? In the main event of UFC Paris over the weekend, Cyril Gaon 
solidifying his status as something in the heavyweight division. We still don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, the more we hear Francis Ngannou and his people talk about it, the more it seems possible that he returns to the UFC for a fight perhaps in January. John Jones making noise still for years now about moving up. Stipe Miocic allegedly not yet retired, though he hasn't fought in a long damn time. I guess let's start with the performance itself. This was impressive from uh, Cyril gone. He and Tai Tuivasa had a fun heavyweight scrap here in the main event. I'll be honest with you. Uh, at some point, I just started to feel bad for Tai Tuivasa's guts. Yeah. Because uh, Cyril gone appeared at some point to figure out, oh, this works yeah. to kick this hard-headed uh, chin having man in the stomach. That seems to hurt him. Maybe I'll continue to do that over and over and over again. And I think credit to Tai Tuivasa's toughness that he didn't even get stopped by one of these uh, body strikes sooner because those look like they hurt, man. Yeah. yeah. And y you could really see both men come to a realization about what was going on there, right? It's like Tai Tuivasa has kind of given him a look like, mate, I know you're going to keep doing it and I really wish you wouldn't. And I can't blame you. Because it's clearly bothering me and hitting me in the head does not bother me as much as you would think it would. And Cyril Gaon is just being like, okay, are you ready to go yet? Are you ready to go? Have you had enough of this yet? Are you tired of it? It's good. This could end at any time, Ty. This, this doesn't have to continue. Just you, you let me know when you're ready for it to stop. And yet he was also, you know, he's not just standing there like... Sirogan had to get through some stuff in this fight. There was a moment when yes, it looked like the prophecy was going to come true, Chad. I can only imagine what yeah. it was like over at your house when Tai Tuivasa landed that big shot and dropped Sirogan there for the, the briefest of moments. Yeah, it seemed like it was going to be over there in the first round. Uh, and it was good. Was that first or second round? I forgot now. I think it was like I think half. It was the, second, the second was a Se wild round, ass yeah. round. First round was mostly a feeling out process. You're right. This is this is where things kind of kicked into high gear was uh, Tai Tuivasa momentarily dropped Cyril gone. And it looked like uh, we were going to get the victory. It looked like the heavyweight prophecy was about to be fulfilled. I will say a lot of people jumped off the bandwagon of the prophecy over the weekend on social media. I was called, among other things, a false prophet for... Uh, pitching this idea that we could put a big bet down on Tai Tuivasa to be the heavyweight champ by the end of 22. And all I'm saying is it is merely the end of the second act, brothers and sisters. This is a setback for the heavyweight prophecy. No doubt about it. But stranger things have happened. We could still find our way in a title fight. I'm not even sure Tai Tuivasa's stock dropped all that much in this heavyweight fight. Sure, he got outclassed a little bit here and there, but he also made it fun as hell. See, he was in there grinning, laughing, loving it, almost won via stoppage. If I'm the UFC matchmakers and something weird happens, maybe USADA shows up on Cyril Gon's yacht and has him uh, provide a sample that turns out a little hot or there's an injury. We need to have a last minute replacement. You could still do a lot worse than Tai Tuivasa. Yeah, the you're right that... Tai Tuivasa, his appeal never was that he's the guy who wins them all. Yeah. That, that he was just the untouchable guy uh, headed straight for the top of the heavyweight division and nobody could even come close to him. Like, hey, he's, his appeal was that he's a fun guy to have around, he likes to party, and he's going to give you a good time in the cage. And he did all those things. He, he, you know, even 
shouting out how awesome the crowd was in Paris. They loved him. He's the antagonist to their guy, and they still end up loving the guy. So yeah. you're right. There's there's plenty of weird ways shit could go down at heavyweight where Tai Tuivasa still ends up fighting for some version of a heavyweight title. But I thought it was interesting in the aftermath of this fight because that fight ending sequence, the way Cyril Gaon cut the angle there before he lands that that right hand just cracks Tai Tuivasa on the chin, the one before he clubbed him to the back of the head after he was already hurt. I was like, damn, that is a dangerous man right there. Like that is that was a. a a brilliant fight-ending performance by him. And I thought, okay, surely we're going to get on the mic. We know Big Franny in is is lurking nearby. We're going to be talking about that. And did it feel to you like he was trying to kind of do everything but say Francis Ngannou's name? Like he's saying he wants the title. whatever, Wherever the title may be, that's what yeah. he wants. But it didn't seem to me like he was saying, I want my shot at redemption against Francis and Ganu's off-brand wrestling ass. Like, he wasn't really going for that, yeah. either because he doesn't think Francis and Ganu are going to stick around, and so maybe it'll be pointless, or that, they, you know, that is just not the variety of smoke that he wants. I don't know. But I felt like we're all thinking that, right? And yet we're not quite saying it. Yeah, and I think it has probably the most to do with just the uncertain future here at heavyweight for everyone and with all due respect to the heavyweight prophecy it seems like the biggest uh, obstacle in the way of everyone at this point is that it does not seem like the heavyweight title will even have the opportunity to change hands during 2022 we've been talking for a long time about the potential of a john jones versus Stipe miocic fight it seems like francis Ngannou will not make a decision perhaps until january unless he and the ufc can come to some uh, agreement before that and it doesn't seem like the UFC will strip him for legal reasons like they just don't want him to suddenly uh, decide that he's a free agent if he is no longer the champion and so I don't know that we will do an interim title either and all of that like I said at the beginning of the round kind of conspires to make me wonder exactly what Cyril gone has accomplished here exactly what he will get as a reward for this I do think he's in the front row now and frankly uh, if he fights Francis Ngannou again, you got to give him a, th- a 40 to 50% chance of winning. Like he was doing really well against Ngannou the first time. And it just seems to me like if Cyril Gaon wants to stick around for the long term in this sport and in the UFC, he probably becomes a champion at some point. Uh, th- there's a lot of like factors that go in, go hand in hand with that, obviously, but he's just, he's very, very good, man. Yeah. And uh, now that he is down to fight whoever, except perhaps Curtis Blades, uh, he has said, which, hey, man, if I'm Cyril Gaon and I remember what happened to me against Francis Ngannou, I also want to fight anybody besides Curtis Blades. Yeah. So, uh, you know, bring bring on all of the stand-up oriented competition. No, you know what? I saw that headline, too, where, like, Cyril Gaon saying that, uh, you know, he, he won't maybe... Uh, John Jones or Stipe Miocic, but basically everybody but Curtis Blades. And his quote was something <laughs> along the lines of, it's just not smart. And I was like, you know what? He's not wrong. Like, yeah. it would be the the fight with the greatest chance of defeat for him and the least amount of interest from fans. And, you know, you can be the tough guy who's down for whatever, but that doesn't mean you got to be a dummy. You know, I can appreciate it. Yeah, at the same time, though, you leave the door open for Curtis Blades to cut some pretty interesting promos if he were so inclined because of that. Sure. Uh, at the same and time, no though, like, yeah. Fuck. 
yeah, I don't think you can blame Cyril Gaunt for for not wanting to to entertain that possibility at least before he gets a, a another crack at the at the title. Um, it'll be interesting, man, to see what they do because uh, you got a lot of people circling the title. You got a lot of uh, interesting athletes up there, and just unclear at this point what will actually happen with the champion and and what that means. We are to do next but we will find out i suppose all right let's do are you fucking kidding me and then we'll move on to round number two ben what's your are you fucking kidding me this week well chad speaking of bkfc they had themselves an event in thailand did you know that i think i saw some highlights if you know what i'm saying i think maybe we're gonna talk about the highlight you saw which was when bkfc fighter and former lingerie football league player ty emery she knocked out her opponent and she celebrated by immediately jumping up on the ropes and pulling up her top to flash the crowd her tits now my are you fucking kidding me is not for her because it clearly seemed like this was a a celebration that maybe she'd been waiting to do for a little while didn't seem like it was something that she was all at all conflicted about um the crowd seemed to enjoy it all of combat sports seemed to enjoy it my are you fucking kidding me, Chad, is for all the media outlets out there who have been getting a lot of mileage out of this, but, Chad, they're censoring the titties. They're putting a little blur on there that, that wasn't on there in the clip that I watched when BKFC just uploaded it to the internet. They're putting a little censor dot out there. And I just want to say to those people, how dare you? What gives you the right? What gives you the right to make that decision for us? You want the titties. You want the clicks that the titties are going to bring, but you don't want to show the titties. No, no, of course not. That would be crass, wouldn't it? Are you fucking kidding me? Listen, you want to be a part of this moment? You want to profit from and benefit from this moment that is so very combat sports that, of course, we had to get here eventually. And, of course, it would be BKFC who brought us there. You want to be part of that and you want to you want to dip your bread in that gravy. You know what? Show the titties. Are you fucking kidding me? Who do you think you are? Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. How dare well, that you? Was, that was impassioned. Yeah. You, Congratulations. Some subjects I just this. get worked up about. Speaking of getting worked up, uh, Demetrius Johnson, Ben, apparently has so many championship belts that he's lost a bunch of them. Can't find them. But at the same time, he still has a bunch. So he's lost some of his collection but he still has a bunch of belts. Uh, you'll recall, like before he even left the UFC, he was having a dispute because they he said they hadn't given him all the belts that he felt like he deserved. So finally, they did come through with like the 12 belts or whatever that they were supposed to give him. He did a photo shoot with all the belts. I believe it was in New York. And then the classic problem that we all have experienced, Demetrius Johnson, too many championship belts to take home on the plane with you. Not going to let you on the plane with all those belts, Ben. So what he does is he arranges to have the belts sent home, but they never arrive. He thinks they've wound up in a, in a warehouse somewhere that the UFC has them or the belt maker has them. He doesn't know. Uh, But also he doesn't care because he's still got a (laughs) bunch of belts at home. Demetrius Johnson has lost more championship belts than most professional MMA fighters will ever own. Are you fucking kidding me? Lost like six belts. He still has like six at home. 
It's fucking crazy, man. Demetrius I, I just I hate when that happens. When yeah. I got too many I championship misplaced belts. Somewhere around half my collection of championship belts. Just one of those relatable problems that we all have experienced before. That's right. Yeah. Man of the people. All right, that's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, Nate Diaz is willing to admit maybe he gets his ass kicked this weekend. But you know what? If he does get his ass kicked, he's getting his ass kicked as the guy who, you know, kind of, sort of, in his own way, can feel like he beat Leon Edwards, who is now the UFC welterweight champion, and the guy who, when he did get his ass kicked, got his ass kicked by the dude who everybody's talking about like he's supposed to be the next coming. So... Is that really so bad for a guy headed into free agency? Now, this seems to be, to me, an astute analysis of the situation by one Nathan Donald Diaz. And also, I wonder if it's not an astute analysis of the situation when Hamzat Chemaev is like, the UFC brought me in as a hired killer to destroy this man, and that is what I intend to do. Is this the situation where it seems like everybody in their own way kind of has a good fix on things? I guess so. Like, this is the fight that the UFC clearly had been angling for for a long time. It didn't seem like the fight Nate Diaz was going to accept. And then it just sort of felt like they wore him down through their sheer inertia and unwillingness to offer him anything else. And he finally accepted it essentially as the shortest distance between himself and free agency. And now he is resigned in some ways to go out there uh, and just accept whatever he has coming to him against Kamzat Chemaev, uh, which is a hell of a way, frankly, to make your UFC exit, to sort of lay the situation bare, to say, look, I know that they want me to get beat up by this guy who they want to promote as their next big thing. And you know what? Maybe that's going to work for them. Maybe I will get beat up by this guy. But at the same time, I will hit the free agent market and I will still be a marketable and uh, saleable commodity that someone will pay a lot of money for. And, uh, you know, he's probably right about that. Who knows what will happen? He might fight a Paul brother. Maybe in some uh, alternate universe, there is a boxing match to be had between Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor, which if you were going to do a third fight between those guys might be a way to drum up some added marketability to that matchup. I don't know. And at the end of the day, we know Nate Diaz doesn't give a fuck. He has told us perhaps thousands of times over the years his total lack of fucks given. And so uh, he's going to hit the market at some point here. That doesn't necessarily make me feel like this is going to be a particularly close or enjoyable fight. Looking at the DraftKings Sportsbook right now, Nate yeah. Diaz plus 700. Biggest Hansa underdog Chimaev. on the card, yeah. Yeah, way bigger underdog than even Tony Ferguson in the co-main event, which we will talk about coming up in round three. Kamzat Chemaev, minus 1,050. So odds makers <laughs> seem to know which way the wind blows on this one. Yeah, but then the other thing Nate Diaz said that I thought might be pretty astute was he was saying, hey, the pressure's all on you 
in this situation, meaning Hamzat. And it's so as him as a sort of stand-in for UFC ownership and that they put you in this position because they want to highlight you beating me up. If you do anything less than that, if you win a competitive fight, it looks bad. It looks like a failure because you come in here as a minus 1050, you know, a 10 to 1 favorite. You better absolutely smash the guy. If you don't, then it looks like they did everything they could to try to vault you into the spotlight and you couldn't quite pull it off. Yeah, we have had some diminishing returns with Nate Diaz over the years. He is 37 years old at this point. He is four and uh, six in his last 10 fights. He's got back-to-back losses to Jorge Masvidal and Leon Edwards in his last two. Uh, Wouldn't it be something, though? We think... The things we know about Nate Diaz, that he will show up in shape, assuming there's no injury, that he will uh, have a remarkable gas tank, that he will be very durable. He will have the pressure boxing style that has, in many ways, powered both him and his brother Nick to fame. And he is also a very dangerous submissions guy. Wouldn't it be something if he could not necessarily even pull this off, but make it competitive, make it into a dirty a uh, competitive kind of uh, sloppy fight that ends up making him look not the worst as he coasts out the UFC door. Yeah, I think the thing people keep pointing to is the Nate Diaz fight with uh, Roy McDonald, right? Like, What happens to Nate Diaz typically when you get him into a situation where he is fighting a... A guy who has a good, who can sort of overpower him wrestling wise and is just bigger than he is. And it doesn't typically go that great for him. Hamza's going to yeah. be bigger than him and he's going to probably be able to bully him around a little bit. Now, Nate Diaz has pretty good jujitsu, as we've seen. And, and much like his brother, the kind of jujitsu that they are at times reluctant to initiate using themselves, but when you put them in a position, position to use it, then they can kind of surprise you with it. But it does seem like Hamzad's game is sort of tailored to ragdoll and Nate Diaz around. The other part of me goes, that Roy McDonald loss was in 2011. It was a long-ass time ago. Nate Diaz is a much yeah. more experienced fighter at this point. Uh, and yet, the path to victory for Nate Diaz in a lot of these fights where he did surprise people was essentially the weaponized pace that the Diaz brothers are able to bring, where they're, they're always in great shape. They can kind of keep a constant pressure on you. People are often scared to take him down because they don't want to like, double leg themselves into a triangle choke or something. So you end up boxing with the guy. They suck you into their style of fight. And he's even if he's not hitting you with anything super hard, he's just wearing you down and wearing you out mentally and physically. And it doesn't seem like Hamza is the kind of game that's going to play into that very well yeah i mean i guess we saw against uh gilbert burns that hamza chamayev will get in a in a firefight with you he you can sucker him into doing that if uh if you can stay on your feet long enough to do it so I'm, i guess if you're nate diaz you kind of got to hang your hat on that pressure boxing skill that we talked about you do want to make this a Nate Diaz kind of fight if you can to try to get Hamza Chemaev to trade 
punches with you, not necessarily thinking you're going to knock him out, but just seeing if you can push the gas tank, test the uh, the cardio of Hamza Chmaev, and then uh, I'd be drilling submissions off my back, man. I'd be drilling every submission off my back for this entire camp because we think we know that that's what Kamzat Chmaev is going to want to do, right? He's going to want to grab a hold of you, take you down, and pound you from the top. And if you got a, uh, if you've got a chance to win, that's probably it. You're probably going to catch something from the bottom. It doesn't look to me like DraftKings has any prop lines up yet. It's a little early um, in the week, but yeah, yeah. When they do put them up, I would love to see what the Nate Diaz by submission line is going to be. Because if you want to uh, lose $20 on this thing, you might be able to get yourself into a tasty little piece of odds there for Nate Diaz by submission. Because if he is going to win, you got to think it would either be submission or uh, decision. Yeah. Um, Or just slapping the man and he he makes a face like he didn't even know that was possible. Hmm? What do you think? I guess TK we are we're counting that as a win now. We're counting that as a win. You know, the, the Nate Diaz kind of win, where in every official sense you lost, but you did slap him once. Yeah, so people are pretty happy about that. Mm-hmm. What is what do you what to you is the best? What's the best opportunity for Nate Diaz outside of the UFC, assuming that he rolls into free agency like we think he's going to? It's got to be boxing, right? It's got to be. You think one of those kind of boxing matches, you know. We like to think that maybe uh, Jake Paul has understood that MMA against MMA people and and the MMA world with the MMA crowd is where his shit works best. We talked about this before. They tried it with a couple boxers. Didn't really work out for a variety of reasons. Now he's going back to the well fighting Anderson Silva. And the thing we all know is going to happen is if he goes out there and he beats Anderson Silva in a boxing match, people are going to be like, you know, the, we basically will become the old dude from the barbershop and coming to America. Anderson Silva, 127 years old. Doesn't mean <laughs> anything you beat Anderson Silva at this point. And then he'll be like, all right, I will beat somebody slightly younger. And then there's free agent Nate Diaz waiting in the wings. I would think, like, as far as one fight payday kind of shit, that's the best thing for him. I also, though, wouldn't rule out that somebody, some other MMA organization will come to him with the kind of offer of, hey, we know you'd like to do that kind of stuff and we will let you, but yeah. also maybe sign a deal where we, you can do some of this MMA stuff for us and then you make your money both ways. I think that yeah. that's a possibility, too. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that he filed for a promoter's license this week, I believe. What is it? Like real real fights? Yeah, we're gonna have real, that real fights shit. for real Real fighters doing real shit. It's a very Diaz tagline on the Nate Diaz fight promotion. Uh, maybe he's maybe he just goes into business for himself. Well, you know, that has historically not been a great money maker for individual yeah. fighters. I mean, his brother also went into business for himself as an MMA promoter. I think they had one event, right? Uh, yeah, the, the, one event accompanied by perhaps the greatest behind the scenes. That's what I was going to say. Making of video in the history of the sport. Some of the greatest work in the already great career of E. Casey Lydon, who put together the greatest behind the scenes leading up to an event video ever. Um, yeah. But I would say if you're Nate Diaz and you're looking about how you're going to make your, your fuck you money, it's probably going to be in one big boxing match rather than as a promoter of events going forward. Yeah. I guess he'll be watching the uh, 
Jake Paul Anderson Silva fight pretty closely. Yeah. All right. Uh, that'll do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, you know how these UFC scheduling issues sneak up on me. And I have to be honest that when I was going through the ordeal of processing my many complicated feelings about Tony Ferguson moving up to welterweight to fight Li Jingliang, I had not even reckoned with the notion that this would be the co-main event in support of Hamza Chemaev against Nate Diaz. It is like someone put this event together to break the hearts, specifically to break the hearts of the hardcore MMA fan. Because if this event pays out according to plays out according to chalk, uh, we are about to get two longtime favorites getting their ass kicked at the end of UFC 279, which we have will all have just paid $70 to watch. That seems like a uh, like a loaded proposition to me, man. I don't necessarily know that I'm that excited about that. If what you're saying is that sometimes being an MMA fan means paying $70 for somebody to kick you in the balls and stab you in the heart, uh, I would say, you know what? That sounds about right. It's like a weird fetish. It's like a kink that we have. Like, oh, yes, take my money. Make me sad. Thank you, Mr. White. Okay, the... The Nate Diaz and Hamza one, I can understand to some point, because they're like, this guy's leaving. This guy is the future. We want to make sure that we are effectively switching the spotlight from one guy to the next on this dude's way out the door. The Tony Ferguson one, I'm like, is this really about putting Li Jingliang over? Because we saw Li Jingliang manhandled by Hamza, much the way we expect Nate Diaz to get manhandled by Hamza. So... That's what makes it a little weirder for me is I'm like, are we doing this because we want to highlight the leech over here who's been in the UFC for a good long while at this point, And you kind of feel like he got somewhat of the book on the guy. Or are we just saying, all right, Tony, we're about ready to wrap it up here. You want to go up to welterweight? Fine. We'll give you a welterweight. We'll see if you like that. We don't think you will. I don't know. That one is a little more vexing for me. I have no idea. I have no possible explanation for how we come up with the notion that Tony Ferguson should fight Li Jingliang, except that maybe Ferguson said he wanted to move up to 170. We didn't know what to do with him. A matchmaker said, I don't know, fucking offer him the leech. And Tony Ferguson naturally, in a message that I can only assume was written, each each word capitalized, said yes. Champ shit only, I will fight Li Jingliang. It just seems like a terrible idea from every angle. And there's no, I don't know what the good angle is here for anybody. But then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to throw this at you. Didn't Tony Ferguson look kind of good against Michael Chandler right before he got kicked directly in his chin and went to sleep face down on the mat? He did. And, uh, you know, Li Jingliang, 34 years old. He's 2-2 two two in his last four, as you said. Lost to Neil Magny, lost to Kamzat Chemaev, 
has wins over uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio and Muslim Salikov. But uh, I guess I'll, I would be surprised, surprised and delighted if Tony Ferguson has a bag of tricks deep enough to get the win in this one. Yeah, it does seem like he probably just gets pushed around and roughed up a whole lot. And that, in fact, it does make us sad. To what end? I do not know. He is not going off as as big an underdog as Nate Diaz. I believe uh, Tony Ferguson, again, in this fight against Li Jingliang, it's it's a little bit more respectable here. Let me, let me check real quick with the, what we got going on. Plus 255. Uh, Li Jingliang minus 305. So odds makers aren't seeing quite the bloodbath in this one that they forecast for the main event. I'm just saying... Uh, you know, it also doesn't seem like great news. You know what else we got on this card? Uh, Chris Barnett is going to be fighting Jake Collier. Chris Barnett plus 330 underdog in this fight. So it's like they were like, find everybody that the guys on the co-main event podcast like, and let's get them their butts kicked well, here at UFC 279. Hey, I mean, you're going to tell me, okay, we're going to throw him in there against Jake Collier and give him big underdog odds. I see you baiting me, sports books, and you know what? I'm going to take the bait on that one yeah. because how can I mm-hmm. not pick Chris Barnett to go out there, do like a backflip kick on somebody, uh, and then do the splits in his celebration? Just we, we should all guard our hearts. Are you saying this is another build-a-wall-around-our-hearts fight? At first, I was a little bit, uh, I thought, oh, bad timing that we're going to be up there in Great Falls watching some bare knuckle boxing while this ostensibly while this event is happening. But now I'm like, maybe that's for the best. Also on this one, the return of Johnny Walker, Johnny Walker going to get in there against Ion Kudalaba, uh, in the, the first fight of the main card on here. Um, are we, are we fully in the, the mode of being like Johnny Walker's just a good time guy at this point, just somebody who can have show up every once in a while fight, you know, whatever. Are we done with the thinking about Johnny Walker might become something? It seems that way, doesn't it? It's plus 170 here against Iwan Kutalaba. So uh, it seems like we're just, this is just, this is a, this is a bizarre pay-per-view card from, from top to bottom, frankly. Yeah, it is kind of. All right, let's go ahead and we'll do uh, just saying stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week. We talked already about Jake Paul and Anderson Silva making it uh official this week just today the uh the announcement came out that we were going to go ahead and do this october 29th in phoenix arizona i'm just saying it's kind of hilarious that the headline on the press release that i received says jake paul to face ufc great and professional boxer anderson silva in a global matchup. I still don't totally know what that is. Live on Showtime pay-per-view. That's right. If you are Jake Paul, you are the 25-year-old professional boxer headed into your sixth professional boxing fight. And we still feel the need to point out in the headline, not just in the press release itself, in the headline that the man you are fighting is in fact also a professional boxer mm-hmm. in Anderson Silva. That's that's kind of hilarious. I'm just saying. Just saying. Couple professional boxers going to box in a professional boxing match. But wait, is the professional boxer, the professional boxer Jake Paul is about to professionally box? 
A professional boxer? Oh, he is. Okay, good. Sixth fight. Gonna gonna professionally box a professional boxer in my sixth professional boxing fight. But it's but is it a global matchup? It's a global matchup. Okay. Yeah. Each round will take place in a different country. <laughs> well, Jed, I'm just saying, I don't know if you've seen this video out um, from the, I believe it's from the Instagram of wrestler Daniel Viscara, who was a, a, a wrestler at Gilroy High School, where, you know, DC coach. And uh, I think now is on the Cal Poly wrestling team. Um, but it seems to be showing what happens if you antagonize coach Daniel Cormier with a Nerf gun. And I, I'm just saying, it is exactly what you would think would happen. He mm. wrestles your ass. He <laughs> he throws you down on a mat. Uh, he shows you the opportunities he has to punch you in the face where he's so inclined. And then, just to put his retirement girth to best use, he's just going to kind of belly flop on you a little bit there at the end before he, he locks up a rear naked choke and forces you to tap. I'm just saying, in this topsy-turvy world, Chad, where we never seem to know what to expect, it I find some reassurance when things play out exactly the way you think they would. Yeah. Fucking no with surprises. Daniel Cormier, hitting him with your Nerf gun, gets him <laughs> to bring you on over to the wrestling mat and make you pay. And it's just, the world feels like a place that makes sense again. I'm just saying. Yeah, Yeah, just saying. I mean, in some ways... Daniel Cormier's overall affable persona leads some people to make the terrible mistake that they can fuck around. No. And then those people, some of them teens, as we're just now learning, they find out. Yep. Important life lesson. And you learned it the hard way. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Remember, we're over at the Patreon page all week where it is, in fact, pledge month. We would love it. If you head over there, help us out, support the show. Every dollar counts. We have three handy tiers of patronage. Patreon.com slash co-main event. We'd love it if you would support us. We have fun over there. I think it'll be worth your while. Uh, We will also be up there in Great Falls, so pay attention. We'll look for some dispatches from the BKFC event. I've just learned that many of them will probably be NSFW. Now that we know what happens in the regular celebrations up there at the BKFC, but uh, we'll be up there with Sir Nigel. Pay attention for that this weekend, UFC 279. And we're back again a week from today with another episode of The Proper. As for right now, thanks for listening, everybody. We're done. We're through. We're out. So what's our plan as far as road snacks go? So we've got about oh, a three-hour drive ahead of yeah, us. Yeah, you know I'm, you know I'm, I'm not going to let us get up there without road snacks. Yeah. I figured pretty serious when it comes. I'm as serious about road snacks as you are about uncensored boobs in a in a reaction celebration shot, which is to say as serious as it gets serious as a heart attack. That's right. We will have road snacks. That's something we don't have to worry about. Road snacks will be taken care of. We know the CME has arrived in Great Falls and Chad gets out of the car brushing Funyuns crumbs off his shirt. Going to be at BKFC, just all of us covered in Cheetos dust. Every one of us. <laughs> <laughs>